Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 25 of World Cup 2018 is done. It's an off day for World Cup games, but not an off day for us. Brian Strauss joins me today and every day from Russia through July 15th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by a really interesting guy. I think you'll like him. Jaime Macias of BN Sports. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from St. Petersburg. I am in Moscow. Brian, how are you doing? I'm okay. I've been in my room all day um, <laughs> working on a story. I, I actually, that's a lie. I did go. I, I went to the ATM. I got some cash. Um, <laughs> because you don't have a credit card and can't use it. I a credit card. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, back in action. I feel like I've been laid up. I feel like I've been on IR. But back in action tomorrow with some um, exciting pregame press conferencing. Um, with uh, Didier Deschamps and Roberto Martinez. Martinez. And, uh, <laughs> Fuck. As we get ready, as we get ready for the varsity semifinal, which doesn't feel as varsity now. Like I, we, like right. that was like that was like a silly joke at the beginning when the brackets kind of came out. But now, now that you, now that, now that uh, uh, Brazil is gone, now that France still like hasn't blown the doors off. Um, and now that sort of Croatia and, and England have sort of proven their mettle, you know, they're a bit more evenly balanced now. So um, here we are getting ready. Well, just do a favor for me and at the press conference tomorrow for your, for National American Pride here, ask a good question. All right. I'll spend as soon as I follow this story, I'll spend the rest of the night meditating and I'll 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 uh, I'll pray to Joe Boo and uh, try to come up with something that isn't embarrassing or stupid. Can I can I get something off my chest here about uh, my issues with Twitter? Uh, and I think I think essentially that's all this podcast has been now for like a week and a half. Pretty much is that is, that, is therapy. <laughs> um, Go for it. Yeah. So um, uh, basically, the UK media on Twitter has had a lot of fun with uh, a response I made to it was public, so I own it um, to what can best be described as a uh, a troll of U.S. soccer journalists, a pretty regular troll, um, just hammering, hammering, hammering um, that U.S. soccer media doesn't know anything. And um, usually I'm smart enough to not respond to trolls, and this time I was not. And all I said was something that you and I kind of both know but it's probably better off not being declared publicly for any number of reasons which is you know actually at most of these world cup press conferences the u.s journalists tend to ask useful questions and uh traditional soccer countries don't always do that and you and i don't even have to think twice about saying that because we've been to so many press conferences over the years but it also isn't to say that we don't have bad questions coming from Americans at press conferences. Not, uh, not only that, not only that, but but the, I've I've heard a lot of there are a lot of English writers here and British writers here, and, and and I've heard plenty of their questions, and most of them are very good. So the fact that they like, do they think you're talking about them? Are they making it about them? Because I, I don't guess. remember you saying I don't remember you saying anything about like English writers specifically being being like not up to the task usually no. they're, they're very insightful so I, I i'm not sure why they've decided to make this personal i don't think you ever made it personal yeah i never mentioned or even thought of uk journalists um i i will say that like basing basing some sort of national stereotype on this type of thing especially when press conferences are really soulless soul-crushing <laughs> exercises sometimes um i can get not putting too much uh, mental energy into that or stock in that but yeah it, it, it's been uh an interesting one to uh to see the response coming from the uk who seemed to think that i attacked them when i didn't but anyway uh, twitter for you I, I will say i I will say that while i i i enjoy i they're they're brilliant they're brilliant journalists they're brilliant writers i've enjoyed reading a lot of them yeah um, here, uh, you know, I've, I've read Rory Smith is excellent. Keir Radnage is excellent. Um, there's the guy who wrote the story on Mbappe who's so good. Um, I can't remember his name. Oh, I'm Jonathan uh, Liu? 
Yeah, yeah. He's, he's fantastic, so, yeah. Yeah. But um but they all think it's sporting Kansas. Yeah. They do. They all they, they don't none of them understand that Kansas City is the name of the place. And so as long as that remains a constant, I'm always gonna sort of my respect for them will hover only at ninety nine point nine percent. That point one percent being reserved for when they recognize that Kansas City, your hometown, is the name of the place. We'll get there someday. Otherwise, otherwise wonderful. Uh, the, God, the guy from the Daily Mail, I, I've seen him a couple times, but I've been embarrassed to say anything to him. I remember having dinner with him one night in Cape Town in South Africa, as opposed to a different Cape Town. And, um, oh God, what's his name? Anyway, he was really, really cool to me and spent the evening with me. And sort of, you know, it was my first World Cup, and I was, I was going to say I was clueless, but people, then people will say, well, "What's different? Nothing." Um, but uh, but no, they're, they're they're the best. They're the best. I mean, the, the stuff that we laugh at is the is the soliloquies, is the is the is the rambling, incoherent statements. And people get up and 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 plus, unabashedly, they're fans. You know, yeah. you've made us all proud today. You've disappointed <laughs> us all today. Like, why are you why are you saying this to the coach? You know. Um, no, it is a unique part of a World Cup. Um, and dude, never tweet, man. Just don't tweet. I think that's probably, from a mental health perspective, the best way to go. You know, like I've totally enjoyed this World Cup. I've enjoyed everything about my work, whether it's with Sports Illustrated or Fox or this podcast. Um, the interview that's coming up later here with Jaime Macias of Being Sports is just an example of how much I've enjoyed getting to meet people in person that I've gotten to know on social media. Yeah, you really ha- yeah, being in um, that being in that in that nexus where you are. Like how many times have have uh we been talking and you know, like like you know the the ghost of Johann Cruyff walks by. Like it's crazy. <laughs> and he says hello. It's been incredible actually. I um watched an entire game almost with Rude Hullet. Um who came by the Fox uh, shipping container that they've right. made into a green room and had a great time talking to Rude Hullet, who might or might not have known that I had written the book about his time during the LA Galaxy. Um, not, not flattering, if I recall. I just reported what uh, what the facts were about the the Fair enough. tenure. Fair enough. But those were <laughs> but, not flattering facts. They were not. They were not flattering facts. But he was so much fun just to watch a game with. He was fascinated with American stadiums. He loves American sports. And what was so great was um, he he was talking about the Atlanta stadium, Mercedes Benz. And he kept calling it the Atlanta Hawks Stadium. <laughs> and I, I didn't correct him just because he was so excited about talking about the stadium. Um, but it sort of reminded me that he actually really enjoyed his U.S. experience. He just didn't do much work. <laughs> that's right. There was a lot. That's right. The book, there was stuff about like <laughs> about him getting coffee. Right. That was pretty much what he did. <laughs> but he's you know, and I, then, I would I would get his coffee. I, I would I would totally get him his coffee without 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 complaining. And then uh, yesterday, Jurgen Klinsmann is here. He's um, he's doing some BBC work, I think. And I saw him from about 150 feet away, and I was in a rush to get to a place I had to be. So I'll say hello, a proper hello at some point. But, uh, yeah, Jurgen is on the scene. Um, yeah, he's tweeted out some photos of him with, uh, with Lineker and, and Alan Shearer and some of those guys. Um, I have not seen him, uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure he's real disappointed about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about something that we talked a little bit before we started recording here about the four teams that are in the fi- or in the semis. And this is definitely the case with three of them. And I need to do more research on Croatia, the fourth. But with France and with Belgium and with England, you have a very clear example when you look at the roster of so many contributors from so many different ethnic backgrounds is just the best way to put it. Um, different, you know, uh, you know, countries, different races, all coming together on this team that has been these teams that are so successful at this World Cup. And I remember talking to Roberto Martinez, the Belgium coach for my book, 
And he told me that one of the things that he made him so excited about taking the Belgium job was not just the immense talent in terms of the individuals on the team, but how many different backgrounds they came from and how many different playing styles they had. You know, he's like, you know, Romelu Lukaku is very different in playing style from Eden Hazard, and they're different from Kevin De Bruyne, and they're different from Marwan Fellaini, but they're all really talented players. Well, he didn't say that about Fellaini, but... Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> that was harsh. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's an amazing uh, disc. That's pretty awesome. Um, but... He, hey, he was... He was... He, he, he did... He did work against Brazil. Yes. You know, that's, that's not fun, what he was asked to do against Brazil, and, and he did it. So, yes. So, so props to, to Sideshow Marijuana. Yeah. I mean, the, the point I would make, I guess, out of all of this is that you and I have run into people in the U.S. who, when we're talking about, you know, what does the U.S. need to do? You hear a lot, oh, the U.S. needs to find an identity, a, a U.S., a United States playing style. Argentina has you a just, style uh, and Germany has a style. You just mentioned a guy who, who <laughs> believes that. Jürgen. Yeah. Um, and I've also heard people sort of use that to say, well, whoever comes in as a coach is going to have to make some hard decisions about which players to use and which players not to use in the U.S. because certain players just aren't going to fit the style that we choose to have. And you can't help but come away from that thinking, so is this a rationale to basically not use Latino Americans in the national team or other types of Americans, hyphenated Americans or whatever in the national team because they don't fit this chosen identity, chosen style. And then I look at France and Belgium and England and they use their diversity to their advantage. So help me well, out if here. Not, if, not their, if not their advantage, they, they, I don't know that England is using diversity to its advantage as much as it is allowing the diversity to happen. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it, you're, they're, not, they're not excluding people. They're not saying we have a certain way of playing and because you have this kind of background or grew up learning the game this way or approach the game in this way, you're therefore not welcome. They are taking, they are doing what teams and coaches and programs should do, which is saying, here's who we have, here's what they're good at, let's put them in position to, to do what they do well. And that's what good coaches do. That's what Jurgen never did. Um, and, and it's a big reason why the USA is not in this World Cup. It's not because of uh, of a uh, you know prioritizing one one kind of player over another so um i you know the, the the a big the big sort of sea change in europe um uh, with this outlook this approach was of course france in 1998 right it was the 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 the, the black blanc burr right the 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 black players the white players and then sort of the the north african influence mm. and how um, these these guys came together. You know, you had you had Didier Deschamps, you had Lilian Turam, you had Zinedine Zidane, and you 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 had this whole group of very diverse players who obviously were brilliant and and deserved world champions that year. And that was going to herald, um, you know, I don't know, a new thaw. But of course, it didn't because people are jerks, and <laughs> you know, we treat each other like garbage based on really dumb dumb things. Uh, so look. I'm I'm a big believer that you 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 figure out what your best players do best and you build a team around that, right? So Landon Donovan is a good example. Landon Donovan was the best US player during his era. What was he really good at? All right, he was really good at at unbalancing teams on the run. He was he was really quick. He played quickly, he moved the ball quickly, he took space with the ball, you know. So put him in position to run at the opposition. Put him in position to beat to have the ball at his feet in space. Right, so the best way to do that is maybe to sit back a little bit. Um, you play in a bit of a lower block, have structure, and then sort of let Donovan lead you on the break. And that team, you know, played Brazil in the Confederations Cup final. That team beat Spain. That team finished first in its World Cup group. So because it it, it was built around what its best players did best. And so if you plan a team, I think based on anything else, you're asking for trouble, uh, especially 
when you're dealing with what is essentially the finished product. If you're if you're if you're coaching six year olds and you can really hone them at a very basic level and and work on certain kinds of techniques and certain kinds of approaches, great. But when you're a national team coach, you're getting essentially the finished product, right? You're getting players that are already professionals, they're already developed. You're not going to change them into something else. You're going to have to, in the short time you're together as the national team coach, make them the best at what they already are and at what they can be. And so, yes, I think I think saying that you're going to you're going to you know play in a certain style um, and perhaps exclude talented players, uh, it seems like nonsense. I also think that the U.S. sort of has had an identity when it's been good, which it, which actually disappeared largely under Klinsman, which is, you know, no matter what your background is, be hard to play against. Be better than the sum of your parts as a team. Um, you know, and that's stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be sacrificed if you add skill to that. Agreed. Another thing I think is that uh, may, maybe maybe the black, the blanc, and the burr aren't so different when you bring them all to Clairefontaine starting when they're teenagers or however young kids. You know what I mean? Like, like these are countries that are a bit that are smaller. It's easier to get from place to place. It's easier to bring kids together. Um, one of the things Southgate again talking about chemistry, talking at the the power of of sort of cohesion. I mean, one of the things that some of the, and again, the, the vaunted English writers uh, have brought up here is that, you know, for, for a lot of these English guys, they've sort of come up together. They've known each other. Um, who, who plays for Manchester United and who plays for Chelsea doesn't matter as much as it used to. Um, you know, they, they, they have, uh, they have a sense of being, uh, they, they, they see their England teammates as teammates. Um, and some of that comes from proximity and some of that comes from interaction and familiarity. You know, you talk to people, you get to know them, they're not strangers anymore. And that's just going to be harder for us because a kid in New Jersey is not going to spend that much time getting to know the kid in Arizona. And if the kid in New Jersey is a, is a suburban kid from an Italian neighborhood in Essex County and, and the kid in Arizona, you know, has got Mexican parents and, and uh, grew up watching Liga Amekis games on TV and, and understand soccer in a different kind of way. Maybe they'll be, I don't know, we got to figure that out. We got to figure out how to get them, because I don't want to sacrifice either of them. And so we got to figure out a way to make them as comfortable and familiar playing with each other as they've managed to do uh, with, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku. Yeah. Um, I think it's a worthwhile discussion to have. I also would add that Croatia, I haven't done enough research, but I do know that, like, you know, Rakitic. You know, was born in Switzerland, uh, played for Swiss youth teams. You know, he, I mean, they have maybe not a, a, a bunch of different races, but like they have guys of different backgrounds. You know, Vita last night got in trouble for uh, pro-Ukraine stuff that he was saying uh, after the Russia game. Luka Modric is an X-Men. By the way, we also I've been pointing out that Luka Modric is somehow underrated even though he plays for Real Madrid. I think Rakitic is somehow underrated even though he plays for Barcelona. Uh yeah, I mean I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he's, you know, that's that's the power of the World Cups, the power of the stage and the spotlight. Eh, these guys are really good. I don't know, like we spend I, I you're kind of right, but you're also kind of <laughs> like, I mean, come on, he plays for Barcelona. We all watch these guys every single week. You know, they play for two of the four biggest teams in the world. And I'm not going to sit here and say which the other two are. You'll have to guess. Um, So you can't meet him. I come after you, man. (laughs) We all think you're talking about the UK. I mean, I I had Croatia going to the quarterfinals and had him going out to Spain because I bought into the Spain hype. Right. But but I Croatia once Spain Croatia being here, even though they had to win twice on penalties. It's it's not that big of a surprise, uh, you know. They 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 are loaded with players who who are at top clubs. And as I'm writing today, um, you know, so I'm writing about sort of the, the the European hegemony at the World Cup um, and why that might be. Because obviously, you know, the, the 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 top Latin teams and even the top African teams have players playing at all the best clubs in the world. So why why is that not enough for them? Um, to get to the semifinals and the final, but it has been enough for Europe now for four straight World Cups. Um, I would also so. say about Croatia, though, that 
it, anyone who's writing a story about Croatia, about how they made the semifinals, has to acknowledge that, one, their qualifying was a disaster for the most part. They got rid of their coach right toward the end of it. They somehow miraculously end up qualifying, having to get a win late at Ukraine, I think. And the Federation has been a disaster. Um, you had actual court cases where players have taken sides against each other and against Federation officials um, and the Dinamo Zagreb boss where Modric was actually charged with perjury in the case and Kramaric took it the opposite side and, and basically was the white hat guy doing trying to do the right thing. And... That's chaos. You know, you remember the Euro in 2016 when, like, the Croatian fans, like, tried to, you know, just you know, kill their own team. They were throwing flares and stuff on the field. And it was just an absolute mess. And here they are having somehow gotten through all that. And it, I guess, you know, in a sense, on the field, they have the talent. But it's not just about talent. They've, they've also found a way to get here to the semifinals. But think about that's that's all fascinating. Like that that should be your next book. That's everything you just said is riveting. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, but if you can overcome all that, then France isn't. I mean, France hasn't endured nearly any of what you just said. But they also haven't really played that well, right? I mean, this has been a theme right. of this World Cup and a theme of our podcast over and over. Is is come on, Didier? Let you know, let's go. Add a second gear, please. But they're still in the semis and weren't ever really challenged to get here. So if you're not even playing that well and you sort of just like second geared your way into the World Cup semifinals, then you're probably really freaking good, you know. <laughs> and 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 the same with Croatia. I mean, if you all the all the reason that in a way it shouldn't be a surprise. They're so talented that they've overcome all of of the nonsense and 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 sideshow idiocy that you've just described to get here, they must be loaded, you know? And, and um, it'll be interesting to see, obviously they have, they, they have the extra day of, you know, they're not playing till Wednesday, I guess. Um, but uh, th that team has been through a lot over the past couple games and has looked, ha has, has been worn down and, and run hard, um, has some, some, you know, looks like some, some niggling injuries here and there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they are able to sort of shape up against England, which is really riding high and, and that, that dance song and all that stuff. So, <laughs> so, so you would ask, you would ask about the, th the, the three lions song and, and, and it's funny cause they've, they've turned that it's so big, I guess that that's become the tease for that episode of the podcast. Like on, like on SI Twitter, They've been saying like, here's an explanation for that song you can't get out of your friggin' head. And we talked about it for like 15 seconds. And it's become, I guess I get, you know, they do the SAO shit and they found that, oh man, let's let's tease football's coming home, because that's what people are listening to while they smash up IKEAs. It's amazing though. I heard that. Uh, I saw what you did there. Um, I I get the sense that football soccer theme songs for tournaments sort of went by the wayside after the 90s. And, you know, there are some really wonderful, unintentional comedy uh, tournament soccer theme songs. Like if you look up on Google or YouTube, like the U.S. 1994 uh, video, um, it's fantastic. It's a bunch it like of... like Hall & Oates or something? Like, well... Yeah, it's like guys on the beach wearing, you know, stonewashed denim and, and no shirts and... Yeah. Stonewashed denim was the official textile of World Cup USA 1994. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, those are the days of the Super Bowl shuffle. And, you know, there's another one if you look up... Um, the German team for I think ninety four maybe ninety. Oh we yes, just look yes, up yes. Village people, Germany World yes. Cup song. Flintstones village people like uh, uh, cameo. Yeah, and, and it's Incredible. absolutely fantastic. And I just wish I was actually going to suggest this to Fox if the U.S. had qualified that they somehow persuade the U.S. team to do something like that again for the World Cup and get a song together and do the old Super Bowl shuffle type video uh, unfortunately the u.s did not qualify maybe they maybe 
maybe they threw the game in Trinidad to avoid this. <laughs> but, I think we, I think we find. How do you, how do you lose to Trinidad's beat? Oh, right, right. Now I know. It was funny. We just pitched the idea with Fox to the team that day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it makes you wonder, like, if this song from England from Euro '96, just from hosting it, has had such a powerful impact for so long on so many people from England, why don't we see more theme songs like this? I don't know. I mean, we do, we do enough navel gazing, right? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're into, we're, we're almost as into our own, you know, soccer misery as they are. So at least on a, on a relative scale, you know, on a per capita, not on a, you know, not on an absolute scale, obviously. Um, that's a really good question. I, I have, I liked, I thought one of the 2010 songs was kind of catchy. There were several, not the, not the waka waka silliness. There was another one that they played that I thought was kind of catchy in South Africa. Um, yeah, waving flag, waving flag was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but like, there's been a World Cup soundtrack for forever, and there still is. But the the actual now team, it's white stripes. The actual yeah, the actual team music video, like the Super Bowl shuffle, like the Germans with the village people, like the U.S. guys out on the beach. That just doesn't happen anymore. You're right. We should do one for Sports Illustrated for the Women's World Cup next year. Like you and me and Luis Miguel Echegaray and Avi Creditor, our editor. And I'm going to start writing a song and planning the video right I'm now. Gonna, I, I'm going to go if, – if, if you do that, I'm going full-on Kuva, man. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sandbag everything. <laughs> All right, let's call it a day. Thank you, off my friend. Day podcast. You gotta love the off day podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Let's talk then. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Jaime Macias. Let's turn to our interview section of the podcast now. We've been doing this every day, and I've had a wonderful time. Uh, with people I know, people I've maybe met on social media that I'm finally meeting in person. And included in that group is my friend Jaime Macias of BN Sports, who joins me now here in Moscow. Jaime, thanks for joining me. Pleasure is mine, Gren. Finally, we'd meet in person. Finally, it's about time. <laughs> uh, that has been such a fun part of this World Cup for me. Um, and you've been covering World Cups for a while. Uh, what stands out to you as we are heading into the semifinals about this World Cup? How much uh, tactics evolve? Uh, because we don't see those tactics evolve on, on a club level because you could sign any player you want and, and play the style the coach wants to play. On national teams, I think they are forced to adapt their thoughts on the players they have. And, and we've seen from the false nine on South Africa to the teams that have uh, fast wingers in Brazil. And now we are going back to some very strong tactical defensive teams that had performed very good in, in Russia. Such as? Such as uh, Iran, such as uh, Russia, Sweden, uh, Denmark. Uh, I think uh, Croatia in some parts of the of the games had also played with that philosophy. One thing tactically that also stood out to me in this tournament is Uruguay has done well once again with two really good forwards, Cavani and Suarez. But they seem almost unique as a team these days because how many front twos have we seen that are really good anymore? No, though, I think those, those, those two and, and uh, their capability of adapting because now we have the top stars on, on soccer. Uh, they are so dependent on the midfield of their teams. Mm -hmm. And when they go to national teams, they couldn't perform at that level. And that's said Messi, Neymar, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Diego Costa. And these two guys adapt to that. They, they, they know they don't have a great offensive midfield and they take the responsibility. And, and if you see, sometimes Suarez comes from the middle of the pitch and sometimes Cavani comes from the middle of the pitch and, and they make a team that it's really an unbalanced team, a very balanced team. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you live in Miami now. You work for BN Sports. Your background is from Ecuador. Um, this World Cup is very different from the World Cup of four years ago, the one in Brazil, where South American teams, teams from the Americas, did quite well, uh, even though they didn't win the tournament. <laughs> this World Cup has been dominated by European teams. 
and not just the expected European teams, even some of the expected European teams like Germany and Poland was a top seed, really didn't do well at all. But it's the mid-level European teams in many cases that seem to have done quite well. And the South American teams are out before the semifinals. Uh, is there anything to take away from that? Is, is there, is, or is this just a coincidence? And if this was four years ago, we would be talking about something completely different. No, it's, it's not a coincidence. Uh, I think that the distance in soccer have come shorter. And, and from the distance to get shorter, somebody have to give a little step backward. And I think those were Spain and Germany. And they are going to go forward again in anytime soon. It's just a, uh, an unlucky break. Because especially, especially Germany, we didn't see a crack on that team before the World Cup. Spain with the sacking of the coach and something weird was going to happen. We mm -hmm. didn't expect that it was going to be that fast. But uh, the way that those mid-European teams had been working on, on, on developing, these teams are not working from Brazil, neither from South Africa. They're working since the end of Germany 2016 on trying to find talent, to, to build a structure, to... to find the way of their players to still develop in outside of the leagues. Because if we remember, after the 2002, most of the, the Belgian players play in the Belgian league. Mm -hmm. And the Belgian league is not one of the top six leagues in the world. Right. And they develop players and they let them go to, to more developed countries and, and they and they perform better. Uh, the structure of the Nordic teams, I think it's the most impressive they base their uh, collecting of, of players at a young level on discipline, mental strength. There are teams that have two or three very talented players from the middle of the pitch forward, mm -hmm. but on the back, it's a team that doesn't make a single mistake on a game. And, yeah. and it, actually, it's a set piece, the one that opens the game against, uh, against England. Brazil in particular is a team that once Germany was out, once you know Argentina was out, um, you know once Spain was out, people were like, "Oh, this is Brazil's tournament now," and and now they're gone. What happened to Brazil? The the World Cup, it's it's uh, in a great matter. Not how you qualify for it; it's how you get to it. And I think the best moment of the Brazil national team was at the end of the South American qualifier, uh, mid-December 2016. And we can compare it with what happened with Argentina of Bielsa in 2002. Uh, you get to qualify for the World Cup in an amazing form, but you are still one year and a half away. Yeah. And, and the, the momentum of the players changed, their, their situations changed, and I think that happened to Brazil. That dominant team... Uh, from that starting eleven, only Allison had improved his level from what happened a year and a half uh, a year and a half before, uh, and then we have a second a second part. It's something we were talking. It's uh, the mental strength. Yeah, uh, Brazil have amazing talent, amazing coach, a great uh, tactical planification for the game against Belgium, but the mental impact of receiving the first goal took them thirty minutes to react, and that led Belgium manage the game, change the system for a, a system on defending a 2-0, not proposing uh, an offensive match, and, and Brazil didn't have an answer for that. When you talk about the mental side of things, you're South American uh, originally. Is there something about South American teams in your mind and the mental side of the game, or is there not? No, I think there is. There is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's based on 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 education and formation and 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 the way uh, the pure education in in the way the the kids are formed in South America and and how they are immediately exposed without a psychological preparation to maximum pressure. And what I mean pressure, it's not just because of the fans win wants the team to win. Mm -hmm. It's because those kids from one day to another, became the support of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that in, in parts in Europe and, and in, in North America, in, in other sports, you, you develop that mental strength because you are coming through phases to, to being the better player in high school, to being the better player on, at college, 
to being the first pick and then you're exposed to being the the star of a big team or a big crowd uh, in south america you are one day a substitute player and an under 16 and the next day you are the the guy who have to save the, the team uh, on on a big match so uh, there is not a psychological preparation it's it's kind of getting lucky on being prepared or being born with that mental strength not, not being developed in in you are you saying in a way because everyone will cite oh Lionel Messi was 13 when he went to Barcelona mm. and he made it fairly quickly is that something that is just so rare so unusual that you're saying that it's just not common enough the the what happened with Messi yeah i think it's it was easier for him uh because he was surrounded by a bigger structure hmm. at Barcelona mm -hmm. where he just have to focus on on playing and develop his talent that he had uh, probably he will became one of the best players in the world starting in Argentina but not as fast as he did in Barcelona it's mm -hmm. it's just like there is a point where the player had to focus on play and 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 develop his personality and develop his skills and 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 growing also as a person. Uh, and in South America, there is in parts of South America uh, uh, a desperation of of the player to perform immediately and then being sold and and there there is so many issues around that the player have to face that mm -hmm. it's not just developing skills and being a good player. I mean, one of the stories about Mexico in this tournament, I thought, was Imanol Ibarondo, the Spanish psychologist yeah. that has been working with the Mexican team in Juan Carlos Osorio for quite a while. And it really did seem, I spent a fair amount of time with these guys it, in talking to the players about how they were responding to it. It really did seem like this had made a difference for the Mexico team, not just during this tournament, but over the last two years. Should we take Mexico not finishing the way the tournament the way they wanted to after a good start as sort of uh an invalidation in any sense of that psychological work or just that's what happens in a tournament somebody has to lose no i think that there is a a psychological point because it's it's not the same uh being brave when you face a team that it's stronger and better than you maybe on the pitch or maybe on history uh, and that's what Mexico did. Mexico, Mexico play one on one against Germany and beat them, and play one on one against Brazil and and have the match open until the last minute uh, of of the ninety minutes. Uh, that's being brave, and I think that part of the psychological work Mexico give a, a step forward. But then comes the other part when you are facing a team that it's not as good as you, that you are better, and you have the obligation of getting the result. Mm -hmm. And there's where Mexico cracks. And cracked so badly that a one nil loss was transforming a three nil loss, and Sweden. that cost them the first part of the of the of the group and not getting their first objective, that was not facing Brazil. Yeah, because I I just think people will look back at Mexico's World Cup and look at it as this huge missed opportunity based on what happened in the first two games. The route to getting beyond the round of sixteen was dependent on the Sweden result. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that that's what I mean and and uh that's part of the of of the mental strength. Uh getting the 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 momentum to perform on the level you are supposed to for, to perform when you have to obligate the obligation to do it. Yeah. And Mexico that day was obligated to perform and that's something I think they couldn't manage. Yeah. So let's look at the four teams that are left here. We've got France against Belgium. We've got Croatia against England. Um, what stands out to you about these semifinals? The diversity, I think, on 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 the the different uh, ways that have come through this generation of players on the different teams to get to the same position, semifinals of a of a World Cup. Um, everybody's talking about the formation of England and how they developed the young system and how uh, they won all the young tournaments and Southgate uh, is the coach who was managing. Uh, but not every team is the same. I think that we can compare a little bit about Belgium because this generation of players was selected a long time ago and, and they all, all performed. But uh, 
Martinez have never managed in the Belgian league. Yeah. He, he didn't book French before getting the, the the national team, and and how that two parts from different directions make a click and 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 develop. Uh, I think Premier League has something in common because th these players consolidate their their soccer skills there, and Martinez also consolidates his his managing. But then you you got uh, the opposite side on 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 uh, Croatia. Most of these teams are are of these players. Uh, they have haven't been living a long time in in in, in Croatia. Rakitic was born in Sweden uh, in in Swiss, sorry, and, and he yeah. played for for Swiss under under teams, uh, and and then you get this amazing midfield that makes everything to balance the the lack of offensive play of their defense, and and then everybody talks about these guys and appears. Uh, a goalkeeper that was signed very cheap when Monaco was in the second division of the French league, and now he's the hero because mm -hmm. I know Modric and Rakitic are amazing players, but Croatia is here because Subasic has, has been fantastic and take outside the penalties has been fantastic on the matches, and he played 30 minutes injured, and we don't know if he's going to play the next match or not, but he had been fantastic, and uh, and then we we go to France and we find out that the French national team one of the top five leagues in the world, most of the players haven't played that much on their league. Yeah, Griezmann never played in the French league, but I never played in the French league. Uh, and and then Lucas Hernandez never played in the French league, and he yeah. was signed on the player on, on for the team just for the World Cup. He, uh, it's it's so different uh, what, what they've done. Pogba never played in the French league. Uh, right. And they developed, and I think they were the first one to find out this number nine not striker player mm -hmm. because the job of Giroud it's open room for everybody that's come behind so, right. uh, and they have a lot of pressure because what happened on the European Cup at, at their soil was a big big uh, thing for them and, and I think that we have four very different ways of getting here on the semifinals yeah it is fascinating I think people there are certainly common trends you can look at with the four teams but there's also very different situations croatia just got a coach a few months ago nearly yeah. failed to qualify um you know there are certain parts of process i think that process is very very important but there's also luck involved in yeah. in, in a tournament uh to get to where you want to be and i think people are getting being a little critical maybe of england saying well who have you really beaten to get here and i get that but Every World Cup is that way. There's going to be teams, you know, before the tournament, we thought England-Germany was going to be that quarterfinal. Yeah. And England did what it needed to do to get there. Germany did not. And that's not England's fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, There's something I would love uh, to change in the future on the World Cups. What's that? I don't like the, the run of 16 being already seated. That you know that you win your group, you play with the second of the other group. I think. I agree. I think that that should be the best group winner against the worst second place qualifier. Uh, so, so that way, uh, it's a little bit more more fair. For example, uh, it didn't happen that way, but Mexico, it was a death sentence. You 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 have Germany in your group, and if you finish second on that group, you will face Brazil. It's kind of. We have to try uh, to, to to try and find a way which is better to always win the the group. Here's my proposal on this because I have thought about this. Mm -hmm. um, I understand why it's difficult considering rest days in the World Cup that you don't want to have a situation in the round of 16 where a team that has had five rest days plays against a team that has had two or even one. Yeah, I get that. But maybe you could at least take group A through D. Yeah, the, the high group, part of the... And then group E through H and either do what you're saying and take how many points, like the high C versus the high yeah. C versus the lowest seed in the round of 16 from those groups. Or just do a draw. At least that way you wouldn't oh, yeah. have any situations like we had with England and Belgium in the final group game of that group where the team that lost the game was going to end up in probably the preferable side of the bracket. Yeah, that that way. And, and I, I, you know, I like the draw thing because that there you could put the pots, divide the pots on, on 
on resting days if you want to put it that way like yeah and and then maybe add a few more days to the tournament yeah. not too many I, I get that but maybe a couple more days just so that everyone that no one would be able to complain about yeah the so rest it's, situation. yeah so it's 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 just trying to develop but well they just want to World Cup less with this system. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is going to have 48. 48. I'm trying to imagine what a 48-team World Cup is going to be like, and it's actually kind of mind-bending, um, just in terms of three-team groups. Uh, I know we're a ways off from 2026, um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Th that's what I dislike the most, mm. the three-group teams. Yeah. Uh, all the other parts, there is a positive, but... I don't know. It's maybe maybe my mind, but I don't like uh, in pair number groups because there is always a team that is gonna not not be playing. Yeah. Now before we get into, I want to ask a little bit about your career path. Uh, what is where can you be found on social media? Uh, my Twitter is uh, at Jaime F. My second name Macias, and uh, yeah, that's all my social media. I, I I got lucky and I opened it on time, so yeah. I have all the social media with the same name. Nice, <laughs> nice, um, and. If you could share a little bit, what is your story about how you got to do what you're doing? Well, I, I got to do what I'm doing because of my passion of motorsports. Really? Yeah, I'm really a motorsports fan. Uh, I have a motorsports fan, and I there was a guy, a Peruvian guy, who called uh, the IndyCar for South America, and, and he was my idol. idol. I want to be like him. And um, when I was 15, my father also loved uh, motorsports, and there was a broadcast for the Ecuadorian television for a Formula One race. Um, there was a confusion. I don't know if they were calling my father, or my father never want to go and, and send me because we have the same name. Mm -hmm. And I arrived to the studio with 15 years old, and, and, and it was me or nobody ah. to go to the race. <laughs> so I call it. Wow. <laughs> Malaysia Grand Prix 2004, Schumacher won. Uh, <laughs> 15 years old. Yeah, and I wow. had there's a I, I put the video on YouTube. I, I when I saw my face, how they put me on air. But yeah, kind of go look at this up, look this up after we talk. Yeah, so yeah, I started like that, and 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 uh, they call me to they stopped calling the races, but they have a a show on Fridays. So I talked with my school, and the principal told me, okay, you could leave one hour early on Friday, so you could go do your show. Wow. But you have to come back after. And I always come back. It was it was very close to my school, and that's that's how everything started. And 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 then we go to soccer. Um, mm -hmm. At the same point, I was playing on a on the youth, uh, at a youth level of uh, MLEG, a team in Ecuador. Yeah. So I was a goalkeeper. I, I get to to be on the bench of the first squad one match. It's also on YouTube. Nice. <laughs> uh, and and. And then I, I I got some lucky breaks because when I was doing practices on, on the first TV station with my former job, I was there. The, the, the girl who was doing the, the the news was pregnant and she happened to give birth one hour before the show and oh, nobody wow. else was there. <laughs> and I do the news. <laughs> so I got some lucky breaks on, on the road. Nice. And how did you end up getting to the United States? I always want to get to the to the big league so to mm -hmm. the to the to the US and um I got an offer for from being sports in 2015 to do the the Copa America just for okay. one month. Uh, I didn't renew my contract because they were not letting me go for a month and I said okay, I'm not going to renew with I'm, your Ecuador. Yeah, with group. Ecuador. Uh, I'm going to take this shot and if it doesn't work, I see what I do, but I hope it works. Yeah. Uh and uh, we went to to Miami I was there for for the month. We did the Copa America, uh, and at the end, the, there was not an offer. And my wife, she was pregnant, so so she could not fly until the third month. So we were in Miami doing nothing, and um, three days later they called me. Hey, are you still in Miami? We need you to call a Galatasaray game. Don't worry. Huh. Third day, a MotoGP race. Yeah. And at the fourth day, they offered me to stay, and that's how we get to be in sports. That's such, I mean, it's so fascinating to me, just situations happen and you want to be in the right place at the right time. And when you get an opportunity, yeah. whether it's at the age of 15 or being in Miami because of the reason you had stayed, yeah. uh, you make the most of it. Yeah, I, I always talk, I, I, I did some conference in, in, in South America talking about the career and, and how achieve things if I have achieved something in my life. And... I always say the kids, it's you have to be ready. 
Yeah. Because the opportunities came on the most weird way. Yeah. And probably it's going to be the only time the opportunity came. And, and you have to be ready to get the most advantage of it. Maybe if I wasn't ready, the opportunities also came, but I, I wouldn't take advantage of them. It's interesting. I and mean, we do have listeners to this podcast who send me stuff on Twitter or in other areas asking about career advice. Yeah. And... Sometimes I feel like I don't have great career advice because I broke in in the 1990s when the media business was completely different than it is now. But there are some things I think that you can give in terms of advice for careers that are um, timeless yeah. in a way. And I think what you're talking about is timeless. Be, be ready when the opportunity comes, even if you don't know when that opportunity yeah, it's, it's going to come. One day it's going to come. And, and playing soccer, um, I also race cars. That was more like a hobby. But uh, playing soccer at that level, it's something that helped me in, in my career. Not because of the analyst point. It's because I wasn't as good as the other two goalkeepers. Mm -hmm. But I always play. Because they, they didn't prepare. They didn't train right. They, they, they didn't know who they were facing. And I think like... Man, they are giving me so much advantage because I, I base most of what I do on preparation. I say, like, if one day I happen to have the talent of being good at something, I'm not going to give the room these guys are giving me. Right. Because I just balance everything on preparation. Then on, I couldn't develop more talent than what I have. And that's how I face things in life. It's like, you have to be the best, the, 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 the one who most prepare in the room and, and, and take advantage of every situation. Good stuff. Well, Javier Macias, thank you so much for joining the podcast. No, anytime, Brian. A pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Jaime Macias, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.